Hello, I'm Mariet Sneeman. Welcome to Calm, Clear and Helpful, a weekly podcast series on taking good care of yourself and others. Today's topic is caregivers, prioritizing yourself while caring for others. My guest is Miriam Boldervain, inspiring author, caregiver advocate, coach and motivational speaker from Portugal in the Netherlands. Goedenavond Miriam and welcome. Goedenavond Mariet. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Thank you. And you know, Miriam, this is the first time I'm recording a guest on another continent. So for me, it's a very special occasion. <laughs> Isn't this wonderful? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> mm. To our listeners, after our conversation, Miriam will give us her three best tips to be a healthy caregiver. And then it will be fun question time. Miriam, you are driven to show others, especially caregivers, how to go from burnout to powerhouse. And you've demonstrated yeah. this in your own life. Can you please tell us how this all began? So it began in 1998. So that's 20 years ago, almost 24 years ago. I met my boyfriend because we were married, of course. His name is Martin, and we weren't even dating for a year, Mariette, when he started suffering uh, from kidney failure. He was a diabetic, and I went to the doctor with him. So the doctor told him, Martin, your, your kidneys are only functioning for 17%. You have to stay here. And I was like, what does this mean? What is kidney failure? What, what, what does it mean, 17%? I didn't know a thing, Marriott. And, you know, I was so surprised. I was frightened. I didn't know anything. So he didn't start with dialysis right away. But it was hospital in and hospital out from 1999 until 2003, when he finally had a kidney pancreas transplant surgery. During those four years, I was the cook, the driver, the cleaner, the groceries woman, working full-time, and the caregiver. He had peritoneal dialysis first, but what we didn't know is that there was a bacterium in the tube that was connected to his belly. So he had a lot of episodes of peritonitis, which meant that he, he had such a pain in his belly. And it was not possible to get a transplant surgery if he kept getting those episodes. So he had to switch to hemodialysis, which meant four hours on a machine, three days a week. Sure. So... It was, now that I'm thinking about it, now that I'm sharing my story, Mariette, when I think of those days, when I think of those nights, when I woke up 
when his blood sugar was too low, when I had to call the paramedics, when things weren't going well with him. There was fear, there was anxiety, there was anger sometimes. When I woke up in the middle of the night, when, you know, his blood sugar was too low and I came with the sugar and he waved his hands and the sugar was all over the bed. Imagine that it's 2 a.m. in the morning and you have to get up at 5.30 in the morning to go to work. Hmm. Those days and nights, wow. When I think about those days and nights, I think, okay, Miriam, you have learned so much from this. You have grown on a personal level because today I can say I burnt out. And how did they find out? I got a simple question from a social worker in the hospital after Martin's first transplant surgery because he needed two major surgeries. And she asked me, Miriam, Martin is finally doing well. How are you doing? And that's when I broke. I started to cry. I sobbed like a child for 15 minutes. And I was so mad at myself, Mariette, because I didn't want Martin to see me like this. I didn't want anyone to see that Miriam is vulnerable, mm. that Miriam can't, that Miriam wasn't taking care of herself because that's exactly what happened. I wasn't taking good care of myself. I was only taking care of my husband. I was concerned about him, my boyfriend, because we weren't married, sorry. And I wasn't taking good care of myself. So when I got home, I looked in the mirror and I asked myself, Miriam, what are you going to do for you? I knew the answer, but I couldn't get those words out of my mouth. And I asked, I looked at myself again and I said, Miriam, what are you going to do for you? And I started crying again. Martin was in the hospital. The next day, we had a conversation and I said, honey, I can't, I, I can't go on like this. I need to do something. And I left him and went to my home country in Suriname, South America for one week. I left my boyfriend who just had surgery and was recovering. But if I didn't do that, Mariette, I don't even want to think what would have happened with me. I needed to take care of myself. And I'm happy I did. That must have been a brave decision. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it's a nine-hour flight. And during this, that flight, I was, I was thinking of so many things. What can I do? What is self-care? How can I take better care of myself? And, Martin, how can I say no to other people? And when I thought of that, I, I, my, mind, my mind said, no, Miriam, you have to help other people. That was the people-pleasing part of me that said, no, you have to help other people. 
I had to learn so much. So when I arrived in Suriname, my mom, when she saw me, she said, my child, you need to rest. And I started crying and I slept so much during that week. And I started writing. I started journaling, putting my feelings, my thoughts into words every day. And what I found out is that it helped me. It really helped me get it out of my mind into words. And this is how I started taking baby steps, um, breathing exercises. I didn't know what I was doing in the beginning, but I needed to do something. And when I came back, I thought, oh, well, maybe I can start working again because I called in sick. But that wasn't possible. I underestimated burnout. It's a nasty, dark place. I really underestimated burnout. And I promised myself that I will never, ever, ever go back to Burnout City. I know this isn't the only time you were a caregiver to someone close to you. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Because when, when it finally, when I finally felt better in 2012, while I was at the office, I got a phone call from Martin. And he said, Miriam, can you please call your brother? And I said, I'm at the office. Why should I call my brother? He said, honey, please, I can't explain. Do know that I'm driving to his home right now. And I said, oh, my goodness, something is wrong. And I called my brother and within five seconds, Mariette, I hung up because he was talking very strange. So I called the paramedics and I told them what I heard. And I said, I think he's having a stroke. So I told my colleagues, listen, my brother isn't feeling well. And I called the paramedics. I'm uh, going to his home right now. So while I left the office, I called my brother again and I could hear the sound of the paramedics, the car. And he said, I said, can you open the door? He said, no, I can't walk. So when I finally got there, Martin was already there, his kids, the paramedics, the police, the firemen. And when I went inside, Mariette, I'll never forget that. I saw my brother sitting on the floor. I, the first thing I thought was, oh, no, he's going to die. He's going to die. So when I was talking to him on the phone, he had a massive stroke and was paralyzed on the right side of his body. The first two weeks, we didn't even know if he would make it. He couldn't talk. He couldn't walk. There was a lot of fluids behind his lungs. He, he, it was a terrible sight. And in Suriname, when people get a stroke, we start massaging their body with a sort of a lemon. It looks like a lemon. It smells like a lemon and coconut oil. So we talk to the uh, um, neurologist and the other doctors and nurses, and we ask them permission because he had a catheter. He had... He was connected to several medical devices. So they said, yeah, if it helps, why not to get the fluid, um, which was behind his lungs, 
to get it out of his system. So we started with a massage twice a day, Mariette. And the nurses and the doctors were blown away. They were blown away by the results. But not only that, the nurses and the, they did all they could within a short of, uh, amount of time they had for the patients, but they could only shower my brother once a week. They could freshen him up every single day. So it's not that he wasn't fresh, but I thought, well, if he showers daily, I strongly believe that will that it will improve his uh, recovery. So we asked the doctor's permission again, and they said, well, these are the do's and don'ts. Yes, you, you and the family can start showering your brother daily. So I was happy, and I went to my brother, who couldn't talk, of course, and I asked him, hey, his name is Patrick. I said, Patrick, do you mind if I shower you daily? And he looked away because there was embarrassment. I could feel the embarrassment. I could see it. It was awkward. Me, his younger sister, showering him. I mean, he's my brother. We are related. I don't see him naked every day. But Mariette, there was no way I was going to let embarrassment win from me. His hygiene was top priority. His recovery was top, prior was top priority. So I told him, Patrick, listen, if you shower daily, you will feel better. And if you feel better, you can do exercises. You can start talking again. Uh, again. You can learn to walk again. And then he nodded, like he would. He wanted to say, okay. And I started showering my brother daily, together with my nephew and his ex-wife. The three of us, that's how we did it. But what I must say is I felt the exhaustion, the same exhaustion I felt years ago when I burnt out. But because of the techniques and tools I had taught myself, I could prevent another burnout. And while Patrick was in the hospital recovering from a major stroke, I left with Martin uh, and went on a holiday. I had to choose for Miriam again. Otherwise, I would have burnt out again. And thankfully, it didn't happen. I just used the same techniques I did years ago after my burnout. Yeah, so we're going to talk about what happened after this journey and how you began inspiring other people who are in the same position. So the first question I want to ask you is which people qualify as caregivers? So that's an interesting question. Anyone who takes care of someone or even an animal who needs help. I mean, if you have a neighbor who's old and you're getting groceries, you're, you're making sure that they have something to eat, to drink, they are clean, uh, you're a caregiver. 
Many, many people think that it's only humans taking care, you know, people taking care of other people. Mm -hmm. But even dog owners, for instance, I mean, dogs can be diabetics too, and they need care as well. Then you're a caregiver too, if you're taking care of the dog. So caregivers are people who are taking care of someone else, making sure that they are clean, that their their wounds are taken care of. In my case, I was taking care of Martin's wounds. I was taking care of Martin, making sure that his hygiene was a, a priority, that he um, was in time for his medical appointments, that there was food on the table, that I was cooking, that I was cleaning. It's it's a lot. It's a lot. That's what caregiving into, uh, is all about. I'm sure there's an emotional component as well, because while you were talking about your your journey, I was thinking... You know, you were talking about those nights with Martin when his blood sugar would drop so low. And I was thinking it's so stressful because it's you, you can't really say what's going to happen. Yes, of course. There's, there's always, how should I say this, um, fear. Mm. Because you're, you never know what will happen. And I will share this story with you. We just moved to this house where I, where we are still living. And we had a couple of friends over. And I remember that Martin, he put some fresh coffee. And he put the coffee on the table. And he sat down. And when I looked at him, Mariette, I... I saw a strange, I, I, I never saw that. You know, his eyes, they were very, very strange. He was looking very strange. And I told our guests, I'd, I have never seen this before. And I'm going to call the paramedics right away because I'm not sure what's going to happen to him. And I'm happy I did. His blood sugar was so low, Mariette. The device couldn't give a number that low. So I asked one of the guests to go outside because since we moved recently to this village, it's a new built, it was a new built village. I told the guy, I'm not sure if the paramedics will find our home because it's so brand new here. Could you please go outside and I'll stay here inside with Martin and uh, there were three more guests. So in the meantime, I was trying to comfort Martin, but he didn't know what he was doing. So when the paramedics arrived, I told him, you don't have to measure his blood sugar anymore because it's so low that the device doesn't give a number. And they were happy with that information. So they said, okay, what we have to do right now is insert an IV with glucose. I said, well, yeah, let's do that. Well, that was easier said than done because Martin was so strong. He was so strong. So one of the guys sat on his legs, one on a paramedic on the one hand and the other one on the other hand. And I was whispering in his ears to calm him down and telling him, Martin, please, 
cooperate, they need to insert the IV with a glucose so you can feel better. And finally, after three minutes, which seemed like 30 minutes, they were able to insert the IV. And two minutes later, two or three minutes later, he opened his eyes and he said, what just happened? And I said, oh, he's back. I was so afraid that he would go into a coma. I was so afraid because that's, yeah, that could happen. That they go in a, into a coma and luckily he didn't have any damage after this episode. But um, there can be a lot of fear. There can be a lot of anxiety when you are a caregiver. Nasty things can happen like this episode. I mean, it's very scary. I've been through so many things with Martin. I remember after one of his dialysis treatments, his shunt opened. So the blood was gushing out of his hand. Oh, no. And thankfully, he was still in the hospital, Marriott. He had just left the unit, the dialysis unit, and he was downstairs on his way to the car because Martin was always driving himself. And when he felt a fluid. And when he looked at his hands, he, he saw that it was all red. So he went upstairs again and they were able to close the shunt for him. He called me because I was at home waiting for him for dinner. And I said, what happened? And he told me, and I was so scared because he still had to drive 20, 25 minutes home. And all I could think of was, what if it, ha what if it opens again while he's driving? You know, mm -hmm. and that's when I decided to bring him to, to the dialysis uh, uh, center for his treatments and uh, pick him up. So there was more on my plate because I wanted to be sure that it never, ever happened again. And if it happened, that I was with him, you know, that at least someone else was with him. It's tough being a caregiver. And, and what I'm wondering now is when I'm listening to you, isn't it difficult to know how much responsibility you as a caregiver should take for the one you're caring for and how much they should take? It is. Absolutely. It is. But what I learned, Mariette, is that we take the responsibility together. He should take care of himself as much as he can. And for let me give you an example. Because of the diabetes, Martin has neuropathy under his foot. And this means that he can walk with a pin in his foot without feeling anything. His nerves are damaged under his foot because of diabetes. So Martin is not allowed to walk bare feet. And he knows this. And, you know, of course, here at home, sometimes he walks with uh, bare feet because he knows it's clean. But he doesn't do that outside. 
because if he know he knows that if if there's a stone for instance and he walks on steps on the stone and he gets a, a wound i get more work yes. because i have to clean the wound and this is what i mean with responsibility he takes his responsibility i take my responsibility and this is to avoid things like this for instance like you know be as careful as you can but don't stop living the life you desire right mm-hmm. because when he was he, when he was on dialysis we went on holiday and people were asking mm, shouldn't you stay here maybe maybe you shouldn't go you shouldn't go on holiday because you don't know what it's like in another country or but we still went on holiday. The what if, what if, what if. Um, I I decided to flip it. It wasn't what if it goes wrong. It was what if it all goes well. But it's it's a responsibility. But both my brother and my husband, I asked them to take responsibility of their own health as well. Let's share. That's what I say. Let's share. I take my responsibility, but please take your responsibility as well. I want to ask you about some of the concepts you share when teaching others. And the first one is self-worth. Yeah. Oh, this self-worth. Oh, I have to work so much on my worth. Knowing my work, there were a couple of things I had to do when I was discovering what is my word. I had to destroy my limiting beliefs, for instance, believing that I was not capable of seeing possibilities, for instance, or believing that I wasn't capable to live a balanced life as a caregiver or Believing that I wasn't capable of being a business owner while taking care of my loved one. I had to throw overboard all those limiting beliefs in order for me to know my word. I am worthy of a wonderful life too, right? Yes. Just like you, Mariette, are worthy of a wonderful life too. Now, as a caregiver, I try to... Live a happy life, a happy, balanced life. I mean, I can't, I love dancing and Martin loves dancing, but because he broke his leg and he has orthopedic shoes, he can't dance for half an hour, but he can dance for five minutes. Mm. That is possible. And that's exactly what we do. Dance for five minutes and have fun. Because I am worthy of a wonderful life too. That's knowing my word. I had to find out what I wanted. Miriam, what do you want? What, what kind of life do you want within your situation? And my situation is that I'm the caregiver to both my husband and my brother. But I can still have fun because I'm worth of fun as well. So... I also had to throw overboard my nasty habits. And with nasty habits, I mean 
I wasn't taking good care of myself. I wasn't practicing self-care. So all of these techniques I used to know my worth. And when I felt stuck, I asked myself the question, do you know your worth? Do you know your worth, Miriam? You are worthy of a wonderful life too. So this is something I also teach in my program. Mm. I saw that phrase on your website, you are worthy of a wonderful life too. And I thought it's not that easy to believe. It isn't. And you know what? This goes back to 2003 after I burnt out. When I came home and asked myself the question, and it was just like I heard a voice say, girl, you are worthy of a wonderful life too. Mm. And I wrote it down. I wrote it on a sticky note. And I placed it on s- several places where, where I was reminded of, of, the, of my wonderful life. It was in the bathroom. It was in the, <laughs> in the toilet. So I started saying it out loud. And in the beginning, Mariette, it felt so awkward. Mm. (laughs) Me saying, Miriam, you are worthy of a wonderful life too. And I started saying it a couple of times a day until I was used to it. And when I was used to it, I started believing it. And when I started believing it, I was starting to take action. And with this, I mean... I started finding out what I loved, what brought me peace, what brought me joy. And I started practicing self-care. It was a snowball effect. But in the beginning, it felt really awkward. It's the same when I say, I am grateful. I'm grateful for my brother, my loved ones. I'm grateful that I can help other people today by sharing my story because that this is exactly what I'm doing helping other people by sharing my story and then there's another concept that you teach which is setting boundaries Ooh. setting boundaries <laughs> many people many of us struggle with setting boundaries mm. and for me setting boundaries was very, very, very difficult because I was a people pleaser. But I had so much on my plate. I had way too much on my plate because I said yes to too many people. I couldn't handle it. And it wasn't easy to say no to others because I wanted to help everyone in the world. And that's impossible. Mm. So I needed to learn how to say no, and it wasn't easy at all. It hurt to say no, especially to my loved ones. Because they were halfway their question, and I said, oh, yes, of course, I'll do it, I'll do it. And afterwards, I would think, I said yes, but I have scheduled that time for myself. But you know what? It's only 20 minutes. I'll do it. That's how I thought in the beginning. 
until I felt the exhaustion again, until I started missing my self-care moments, my me-time moments. And I said, well, I can't help you now, but I can help you at another time, unless it's life-threatening, of course. And this is how I started setting boundaries, saying no to others and saying yes to Miriam, because that's, that's what you're doing. You're saying yes to yourself because you say no to someone else, right? So that's with setting boundaries. It is needed. It is a form of self-care, setting boundaries. Because in my case, I most of the time when I said no, was because I had scheduled that time to practice self-care, to do breathing exercises, or to just go out for a walk, or uh, listen to music, or dance for five minutes. Something that brought me joy. Something that brought me peace. And since then, setting boundaries, it's, it's easier for me now to say no to others, even my loved ones. And yes to myself. And then I read on your website that you also teach people to see new possibilities. And I'm curious about that. Yeah, possibilities. Wow. Um, years ago, of course, I, I needed to find ways to see possibilities. Martin was one of the possibilities I mentioned was that when he was on peritoneal dialysis, um, I thought that we couldn't travel anymore. And Martin and I, we love traveling. We love traveling. And I thought, oh, no, it's not possible to travel anymore. Because he needed a couple of bags of fluids daily. I think uh, one of the bags weighed, one bag was two kilograms. And he needed six of those bags a day, which is 12 kilos mm. of fluid. So I said, oh, well, it's done with the traveling. That made me sad until I started asking questions and asking for help, which is all, also something I teach. I started asking the nurses and the doctors um, questions like, is it even possible to travel? I mean, we live in the Netherlands. Can we travel to France, to Paris, to, you know, it doesn't have to be a 12-hour flight, but, I mean, it's not that far, or even Belgium. And they said, well, it is possible as long as, long as you make sure that you have this and that and that and that. And I said, well, that sounds great, but... Who will take care of his medical supplies to be delivered at our holiday address? And they said, well, the Kidney Foundation, this is the number. If you call them, this and this and this can be arranged. And I said, well, that sounds wonderful. And this, this is, you know, what I mean with seeing possibilities. Mm. Whenever I felt like okay, I need someone to be with Martin, to be his companion, so I can take a nice long bath or a nice long shower or a nap. I called 
my mom-in-law and I asked her, um, are you willing to come over for a couple of hours and be with Morten? And of course, it's her son. And she said, well, of course. So this is a combination of asking for help and seeing possibilities and grabbing opportunities. So in my phone list, my contacts, what I did is behind everyone's name, I wrote what they were good at. She's good at, at cooking. She's good at driving. She's good at this. So whenever I needed someone, I checked my contact list <laughs> mm. and I called and asked for help. Possibility. What is possible? And as soon as they said, well, that's possible, I grabbed the opportunity and said, oh, yes. So I could take care of me. And Mariette, nowadays, I, I, I keep looking for possibilities. Always look for possibilities and grab the opportunity when it's there. Yeah, and you have a very practical way of going about it which I'm yeah. sure you teach others. We will come to your yeah. pro programs in a minute. Yeah. Uh, I'd just like you to sum up and tell caregivers what others gain when they prioritize their own health and well-being. When you take care of yourself, my experience is that when I started taking care of myself and taking care of yourself is more than just practicing self-care. It is um, also scheduling. Scheduling your self-care moments, scheduling medical appointments, because in the beginning I tried to remember all medical appointments and it was a mess. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot appointments and I got bills because I forgot the appointments. <laughs> So please <laughs> schedule your schedule everything get it out of your head put it in writing i started with a paper calendar because when you see when you see it in writing it's better mm. that's something i teach as well so you know it is very much needed and recommended to schedule your appointments and Take care of yourself because when you have you have so much going on in your mind, Mariette, as a caregiver, and especially I was working full time at that time. Besides being the caregiver and all of those caregiver tasks I had, the to-do list was huge. So taking care of yourself is not only practicing self-care it's way more than that it's it's a total package does it make sense what i'm saying oh yes it's practicing self-care it's the scheduling but it's also the socializing part i mean going out for dinner with a friend that allows you to forget caregiving for a moment mm. and the way for me to socialize at that time was by asking for help, asking a friend or someone else to be the companion so I could go out 
with my best friend and have a cup of coffee or have dinner or a movie, watch a movie mm. and do something else than caregiving. You know, one thing is connected to the other. And that's what I'm saying because many people ask me, what do you teach? It's several things that are so connected to each other. Because if I want to practice self-care, then I needed to ask for help. And by asking for help, I saw possibilities and grabbed opportunities. The result was that I could schedule that moment in my calendar and practice self-care or socialize or go out for dinner. It's a beautiful circle. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Miriam, how did you start writing your book on caregiving? So in 2013, I started a business. I started a web shop in exclusive clothing for full-figured women. And the reason I started this um, uh, web shop was because I wanted the world to know, to see that full-figured women are beautiful too. And I succeeded. I dressed a famous actress in the Netherlands, a singer-songwriter from New York, um, a couple of well-known businesswomen in the Netherlands. I mean, it was amazing. I went on national TV showing how beautiful those women were. And in 2019, I closed uh, the web shop. And I remember that it took me a week to write emails, text messages to customers who said, no, Miriam, what are you doing? Why are you closing the shop? I need those beautiful dresses. <laughs> and, and I told each one of them, I, I'm closing the web shop because I feel like I need to do more. I, I can do more, but I don't know what I'm going to do yet. I, I honestly didn't know what I wanted to do my yet. The only thing I knew is that I wanted to continue working with people who are ready to grow on a personal level. And I met a friend in November. I think it was November 2019 when we met online because we did the same uh, program. It was a three-day program. And we tried to schedule a meet and greet Zoom call for months. And finally, in August 2020, we finally had our meet and greet Zoom call. And she said, well, who's Miriam? And I started sharing my story. And I was so busy, Mariette. I wasn't paying attention to my laptop screen. And when I finally looked at my screen, I saw that she was in tears. And I said, oh, sorry, I didn't. This wasn't my intention. I'm so sorry. Maybe I should write a book. And she said, well, this is exactly what I wanted to ask you. Why don't you write a book? Because this is very important for the world to know. And I said, no, yo, I'm just kidding. I was just kidding. Who would, would want to write? Uh, uh, sorry, who would want to read my book? <laughs> I was just kidding. No. And she said, no, I'm. 
I'm serious. And I would be honored because I'm a writing coach. I would be honored to help you write this book. Why don't you give it a thought? And two weeks later, I started writing my book. And 10 months later, I self-published my book, Caregiver 2.0, From Burnout to Powerhouse. And amongst the, all the things you do, you actually do that for people as well, don't you? To help them write their books. Yeah, this is something I, I, <laughs> I recently uh, launched because after I wrote my book, I have so much content, so much I've learned in the past 20 plus years when it comes to caregiving. And when I started writing, I discovered that it's so much and I decided to put all the, uh, most of the content in my six-week online program. So I created a program. And after that, a couple of months ago, I created a 21-day uh, program as well for caregivers who say, you know, some of the caregivers say, I, I only need uh, videos and action steps. If, if I can get that, that's fine with me. So I created a 21 days to balance caregiving program. But since so many people have asked me, Mariette, Miriam, can you tell me something about the writing process and the self-publishing process? Because I don't know anything. And I said, well, yeah, of course. And I started telling them what I did. And each one of them said, oh, that's a lot. So that's when I decided that so many people have a beautiful story in their belly that needs to get out. So I created another program, a one-on-one -on -one program, how to write your book and self-publish your book. So you don't have to go to a publisher. You don't have to go to a publisher to publish your book. I did it all by myself. And of course, I needed to find out where to go, how to do it. It takes a lot of time. And I can save people a lot of time because I can tell them with the, and share the links with them, the, the do's and the don'ts when it comes to writing your book and self-publishing your book. So I launched this program two weeks ago and I'm so excited because a fellow caregiver from Hawaii, she, she listened to a podcast. I was in a podcast uh, a couple of months ago and she listened to that podcast and she contacted me and she said, your book, I need to read it. And after she read it, she sent me another message and she said, your book inspired me to write my book now. And I was so honored. Mm. I was so honored because it's, it's, everyone has a story, Mariette. And what many of us don't realize is that when we share our story, we help other people because that's exactly what's happening. And many caregivers don't share their story because some of the stories are, how shall I say it, very hard, very, 
you know, I, today I can share my story very easily. Um, when Martin, when I had to call the paramedics, I mean, I even share pictures of Patrick in the hospital. You can see that in the video I share, the video about my book. And that's a very touching picture because in, when you see that picture, Patrick didn't even know he was alive. Many caregivers don't share their story because they are ashamed of their story. But it's so important for other people to know that they are not alone. And that's why I'm sharing my story, to let caregivers know that they are not alone. And I also say my journey is not someone else's journey. Everyone has a unique journey. I am taking care of two gentlemen. The one had a stroke and the other had kidney failure. That's different from someone who's taking care of a loved one with dementia or Alzheimer or uh, a child or a sibling or, you know, or a parent. It's different. The journey is different, but most of the struggles are the same. The struggles like anxiety, stress, exhaustion, sleep deprivation, burnout, those are the same. Miriam, apart from your programs, do you also do individual coaching? Uh, yes, most of the programs. For instance, my six-week program, I, um, in the beginning I did uh, group coaching, but most of the caregivers prefer one-on-one. -on -one. So mm -hmm. that's what I'm mostly doing one-on-one. -on -one. And the book, How to Write and Publish a Book, is also a one-on-one -on -one course. And the 21-day program is um, uh, pre-recorded videos. So that's do it yourself. And do you do speaking engagements as well? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Actually, next month I will be speaking in my community here because we have, I live in a small village uh, uh, in the Netherlands and we have, I think, over 500 caregivers here in this small town uh, village. So I will be a speaker uh, next month and I enjoy it. I prefer small groups when I'm speaking because um, I like dialogues instead of monologues. Mm. I want interaction. I want to hear from the, the people who attend the speaking engagement, you know, what they are dealing with because we can learn from each other. I always say I don't know everything by far. If I would know everything, I wouldn't be able to grow. I love it. I love it when there's interaction. Where can listeners find out more about your work and find your book? So my book is on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, all, most, most of the bookstores. You can find uh, my book. Most people order it through Amazon. Um, so that's where you can find Caregiver 2.0 from Burnout to Powerhouse. Um, I have another exciting uh, news I want to share with your audience. Yesterday, my second book, which I've written with 17 other authors, has been launched. My Africa, My Identity is the name of this book. 
And I am so excited that this book is uh, will be on Amazon. I think by the end of next week, it will be available on Amazon. And the profit of this book will be donated to a foundation who they try to prevent child marriages in Africa, which is wonderful. My own website, miriambolderwin.com, you can find all information about my programs, free resources, get your self-care tips for free, get the best kept secrets of a healthy caregiver. That's a mini ebook I've written. And in this ebook, I share the mistakes I have made and you can learn from me. The mindset shifts I had to make as well. So you grab your copy for free on my website, miriambaldewijn.com, and go to the page of uh, free resources. You can also find me on Facebook, Miriam Baldewijn, Instagram, Miriam Baldewijn, Twitter, Miriam Baldewijn. I'm everywhere with my name. <laughs> LinkedIn, Miriam Baldewey. TikTok, Miriam Baldewey. <laughs> and on my social media, on my social media, I, I ask my followers questions. Some of them might be confronting. But I do that on purpose. Because there was a time when I needed to, to answer those questions myself. And it helped me. It helped me grow. It helped me with my healing process. Just like my book did. Writing my book was not just only writing my story, but also healing. It was also therapy because I cried and I laughed. There were so many emotions when I was writing my book. Yeah, I have so much to share. I've been in local newspapers. It's amazing. I try to share my story whenever I can. I mean, if I'm waiting for the bus, I start talking to people and share my story because you never know who you can help. You never know. And I'll also attach the link to your website to this podcast. Oh, wonderful. Will you please give us your three tips for being a healthy caregiver? Love yourself is the first one. And do at least two things a day that bring you joy. The second one, I already talked about it, is setting boundaries. Because this way you say yes to yourself. And this is a form of self-care, saying yes to yourself. The third one is allow yourself to grow. Learn from the things that you didn't do or didn't go as you planned or you wanted to go. Learn from those things. I always say, if I know everything, I cannot grow. Because there's no space to grow if you know everything. And I don't know everything. This is the first thing I tell my clients. I don't know everything. But what I do know, I will share with you. 
because it has helped me and it can help you as, as well as long as you take baby steps but radical action. Thank you, Miriam. May I ask you your fun question? Oh, yes. I wonder what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you spoke about your web shop and selling beautiful clothes for many years. So I know you have an eye for beauty. My question is, what in your opinion is the most important accessory any woman can have? And this can be tangible or intangible. You can choose. I love, love, love this question. And as you were asking this question, the first thing I thought of, your smile. Ah. Your smile. You know why I say this? Because many people tell me that when you smile, Miriam, it feels so good. There's so much positivity. So I would say smile, definitely. Thank you. And thank you for inspiring not only caregivers, but all of us to take better care of ourselves. Can I ask you a question? Yes, you're welcome. A fun question. Yes, Since we've please. We've been talking about so many things. I wonder, I'm curious. Let me ask you the first part of the question. Do you love yourself, Mariette? I do. And the more, the, the older I get, the easier it becomes. Love it. So can you name two things you do and show that you love yourself? Well, a good friend of mine has taught me in the mornings to open my arms to the, to the world in front of the window and then to give myself a big hug. That is the I one thing. I love it. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing I do is to ask for hugs from my life partner or from my children when I see them. That's so beautiful. That's beautiful. I wonder how many people do this. Just hug yourself. Well, as you said before, it feels a bit strange. <laughs> yeah, but I, I hug myself. In the myself. beginning. <laughs> it does, but it feels so good. And loving yourself is so important. It's so important. Because if you don't love yourself, how can you love others? Yes, yes, very true. So thank you for all the wisdom you shared with us in this podcast. It was my pleasure, Mariette. Thank you for having me. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us. If you found this episode helpful, Please share it with someone you care about. I'd really appreciate it if you'd rate Calm, Clear and Helpful where you download your podcasts. If you'd like a more fulfilling relationship with your beloved, if you wish parenting could be easier, or if you're interested in improving your emotional well-being, you're welcome to visit my website mariettsneeman.co.za 
for free articles and podcast episodes. Calm, Clear and Helpful is compiled, hosted and edited by me and the music is by Mart-Marie Sneeman. Catch you next Tuesday at 9.